This is the Find Your Forte podcast, episode 45. You have the passion. You have the education. Now it's time for the inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte podcast with choral director and lifestyle entrepreneur, Ryan Guth. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Find Your Forte podcast, bringing you episode 45 with... Tom Shelton from Westminster Choir College. And Tom is somebody that I've been wanting to have on the show for a very long time. Our paths cross regularly, but we've never walked across the room to shake hands. Uh, And I'm, I'm very glad to have him here today. Now, before I begin, I always have to ask this one question. So, Tom, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open and looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? I am so ready. That is fantastic. Now, I know Tom has listened to multiple episodes of the Find Your Forte podcast, so it's wonderful to have a well-researched guest uh, on the podcast. But I want to ask you, Tom, if I were to meet you randomly at a cocktail party and I said, hey, Tom, what is it that you do? What would you tell me? I would say that I am a conductor, composer, and teacher. Wonderful. Now, what's uh, is that in the is that in a hierarchy of some kind? Um, is that no, no particular order. Not. I would probably start with teacher if it was hierarchy. Okay, you're a teacher, and, and then, yeah, absolutely. As most of us in Choir Nation are, we're you know all educators first, and uh, but you you know I've seen you now um, at the Boston ACDA. Eastern Division, and you had a, a piece that was premiered there, I believe, right? Yes, I did. Okay, so obviously doing uh, very well in you know composing and conducting. What do you do uh, in conducting? Uh, I conduct a lot of festivals and choirs, particularly for children and youth. I taught middle school for eighteen years, and so I feel like I really know that that age group. And so I um, I'm, I feel very fortunate that um, people have invited me to work with their choirs. So I, I really enjoy doing that. I also work with the Neighborhood Children's Choir at Westminster Choir College. And I also am the director of children's and youth choirs at Princeton United Methodist Church. So I have preschool through 12th grade there. Okay. Where did you teach uh, previously? Uh, in North Carolina. I North Carolina. At, okay. Uh, Winston-Salem, Forsyth County School System for 18 years. Okay. So let's, let's go way back now and, and try to pinpoint that, that time in your life where you decided that this is what I want to do with my life. Okay. Um, that's so interesting because mine really was a process of many, many years. I grew up in a very musical family, and when I was five years old, I would hear things on the radio and go and play them on the piano. So my parents got me piano lessons, and then I have three older sisters and one younger sister, and we all sang together growing up all the time. We would sing at church services, revivals, all of that. And, um, you know, I remember when I was in high school, I was in band playing the trumpet, jazz band playing the piano and vocal ensemble. It's like three, that's half of my schedule was music. And you really could never, ever do that now. But that was kind of the path for my life. Well, then by the time I got to my senior year, I had decided, you know, I'm not going to be a music major. You know, I want to make money. So I was going to major in business. So I went to college and I, Ryan, I must have changed my major seriously eight times <laughs> before I finally decided, you know what, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I changed back to music. Yeah. So did so you you came in as a business major? Uh, yeah, actually, I think my first 
official major was communications. Was there a particular class that you sat in there and said, no, this is not, this is not doing it for me? I don't, I don't think there was a specific class, but like I, <laughs> you're going to laugh, but I was like a recreation major one semester because I'd always worked with parks and recreation during the summer. Recreation? Really? Yes. Oh my gosh. I was a um, health major because I was going to, I thought, well, I'll be a public health educator, you know, but uh, I think none of them all the entire time I knew that I was supposed to be a music major. You know, and after, after seeing the miracle of life video, when I was a child, (laughs) I knew that I knew that the public health major was, was never going to be for me. Uh, (laughs) But I remember every time, every time my kids tried to come to choir lessons on the miracle of life video day, I said, Go right back to health class. If I had to watch it in eighth grade, you need to watch it too. <laughs> and it's, it hasn't changed. The video even hasn't changed and even up to 2015. It's still the same video. Yeah. So um, well, that's great. Okay, so you ended up with a music degree at the I end of all it. of this. I, I was at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Okay. And, you know, you know music is a four-year degree at least. And so the fact that I changed during my junior year, you can imagine how long it took me. But if it hadn't been for, uh, I don't know if you know Dr. Hillary Appleshot. I don't. Um, she was at U- the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and then she was at OSU. And now she's at the University of Toronto because she's from Canada. Um, but she also was one of the past presidents of ACDA, the national organization. But she was my advisor, and if it had not been for her in 1988 – continuously saying, this is what you're supposed to do, you are going to make it. I probably, I don't know that I would have made it all the way through. So she, I, she was an integral part of your absolutely. success. Yes. And she's an amazing person. That is wonderful. What is yeah. Now, is there a time in particular where, I mean, I, I guess you could say changing your major eight times right. might not have been the most shining moment in your, in your <laughs> young professional life, but um, was there a particular time where... Things weren't so self-affirming. Oh, you know, in terms of my worst musical moment, is that what you're getting at? Oh, uh, we could go there. <laughs> okay, so uh, I had a, I've always worked with children and youth. And one time when I was in Greensboro, I had a job working with an adult choir at um, a Disciples of Christ church. And uh, I had I worked there many, many years. I loved them. Um, but, it, you know, adult choirs and churches tend to be um, older in age. So I would say the average age was probably 65, 70. And we, I had picked an anthem for them. He leadeth me. I don't know if you know that. Oh, I do. I had a hymn arrangement, but this, this hymn arrangement was not in four, four, it was in three, four. And so they were so used to the four, four, right? So we get up Sunday morning, we practice Wednesday night. It was great. We practice Sunday morning before church. It was great. We get up during the service and the men start, and they start in 4-4 four, four instead of 3-4. So then the accompanist is trying to catch up with us and do anything. And, you know, I, I had a moment of choice right there. I thought, you know what? This is participation in worship. This is not performance. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop unless this just falls apart. So I, and I'm thinking, plus, the women are going to come in in a minute for, on the chorus, and they'll get us back on. Because the they, women always end up doing it right, right? right exactly. Right. So they in and they just join them in 4-4. Four, four. Uh. So <laughs> I get to the end of the refrain. And I am, of course, giving them all these facial expressions and, you know, watch me, all these things. And then they did the rest of it. They got back in three and they did it perfectly to the end. Well, then um, I, the minister gets up in the pulpit right after that because this was before the sermon. He says, now, choir, we all know that anthem, he leadeth me, and that is not how it goes. No. 
so, you know, and then I'll never forget this. The next day, I'm in the office, the church office, and the secretary said, oh, I heard about what happened. And I said, yeah. And she was like, well, tell me, what's the worst musical thing that's ever happened to you? And I'm like, Betty, that was the worst musical thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, so, my God. Wait, so so this was, it was supposed to be like the lilting version of He Leadeth Me? Was it like, was it like what it was like? Um, it was the same melody, but it was like, instead of... He leadeth me. Oh, it was, he leadeth me. Oh, okay. So it oh. was like three instead of four, which totally threw them off when, I guess, in the moment. They just got to learn to read these people. <laughs> Come on. That's, jeez. Okay. If okay. I had to do it again, would I have stopped? Maybe. Oh, because, yeah, I, I was thinking it was the, uh, the, he leadeth me, he leadeth me. That one. Is that, that's a different version. Of He Leadeth Me. Right. Well, it's the same one, but it's He Leadeth Me. They had put it in three. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. All right. You're bringing back moments for me, too, because (laughs) I've had very similar situations uh, because I started my conducting career when I was 17 as a church choir director for a church that should never have hired me as a 17-year-old. <laughs> but uh, similar age, similar level of reading ability. and uh, You probably learned and grew so much from doing that. Oh, the, I, would, I would say that, you know, and every time I speak to a Westminster student, because, I mean, I guess that's the population that I'm, that I'm generally closest to, you know, geographically and, and otherwise, is I say, if you want to come out, in, in the best thing you can do, if you want to come out with a job, you know, a job offer from a, a school district or a church or whatever. When you're in school, get a church job. You Absolutely. do you do not have enough practical conducting experience as a music ed major anywhere for you know, like to to be able to call yourself a conductor or a or a, you know, a director when you when you graduate your senior year if you haven't had some kind of Oh, no, church absolutely. job or something. And, and there is no better way to practice the skills that you're learning at school right. than in, in that situation. I totally agree with you. And it's, it's something about being a, a, a church choir director is, is uh, it's like pushing a boulder up a hill and <laughs> what was his name? Sisyphus. And then it just rolls back down again. Uh-huh. And then you just got to push it back up the next week. And I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's a. It's definitely a very challenging, especially the kind of churches that are going to hire a seventeen-year-old, eighteen-year-old. You're not going to walk into, you know, you're not going to walk into a, a, an ivory tower music program at that age. So exactly. you will get plenty of wonderful uh, experience. At Absolutely. But you know what I love about that? Well, I love the faith-based first of all, and I love that the people in your choir are so committed and they love to sing, and you don't get that everywhere. And I just think that's really special about about working with a church choir too, because they usually just embrace you and love what you're doing. Yes. Well, if you're awesome like you, Tom, <laughs> well, and I'm sure you're- I unfortunately had a f- some very different situations in, in church choir. I have been fired by, by three churches, four churches, something like that. It was always from being overly ambitious. They didn't like that. I was an ambitious, ambitious person. Uh, <laughs> 
They thought that I was too tough on them. Yeah, but, um, but that was during my cocky early 20s, and I've, I've humbled out since then. So it's, and, and you kept going. I mean, you had one, then two, then three, then four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just almost a glutton for punishment, clearly. <laughs> well, okay, that's great. So uh, are, is, there, is there another moment, or did you? Uh, I, I could gladly uh, uh, move on to the uh, more positive times. That's definitely the most memorable. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you another one from that same choir. Oh, please. Okay, the, the men were singing one Sunday, and they were doing really well. They were doing um, Soon and Very Soon. It was in four parts, and I was so proud of them. And so it was just the men that Sunday, so we, <laughs> we did prayer responses as well. And so I had picked a four-part amen from the hymnal, eight measures. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. So we practiced it downstairs. It's great. We get upstairs. In the midst of the service, he finishes the prayer. I am. We had a divided chancel. I'm on one side. They're on the other. So the organist gives them the cue, and then I bring them in, and this is what I hear. It was like nobody would be a leader. Right? <laughs> oh. So I'm just conducting. I'm acting like nothing's wrong. I do the eight measures. I cut them off. There was no amen anywhere. <laughs> I was saying to myself, do not look at the organist. <laughs> do not look over there. And I sat back like nothing was wrong. And then we laughed so hard about that later because she, she was like, I can't, I can't believe you didn't look at me. I just knew something was going on. But, you, know, <laughs> you always have experiences like that. You know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And when, you think, and when you think they're ready and prepared and then they get nerves or you don't have like that one person that will just step out and lead, everybody's waiting for somebody else. Oh, yeah. yeah it's like these are all like life lessons that you can take away from your choral experience. Like, like, like be a leader, you know, if you don't want bad things to happen, you need to be a leader, you know, or, <laughs> Absolutely. Or, or, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's psychology. It's, it's, it's group dynamics, politics. It's, I mean, if you want, if you want a very diverse education in, in just the world, go get a church job. That's what I say. Go Absolutely. get a church job yeah. or and, and try to keep it, try to keep it. Um, <laughs> I can tell you how not to keep it, but <laughs> so um, what? What do you feel was the most proud moment that you had in your musical career so far? Okay, I um, I thought about this, and I think that I'm glad. I, I'm glad that you thought yeah, about it. I, I think instead of my proudest moment, I'm going to tell you about the moments that have been transformational for me. Perfect. Um, I was teaching elementary school. And I had this third grade class, and they were not very well behaved, and they weren't very nice to each other. So it wasn't always a pleasure when they came in the door. Um, but I was working on this uh, song from the textbook. I'm trying to remember what it, what it was. It's something like Music Brings Us Together. It was a, it's a little sappy, but it was a lovely song, and they sounded really beautiful on it. And um, as soon as we finished singing the song, this little girl raises her hand. And she's like, my grandfather just died, and this reminds me of him. And then she starts crying. And then this other little boy raises his hand and is like, my dog just died, and this reminds me of him. And he starts crying. And then somebody else raised their hand. And, you know, and then we talked about how music brings out those emotions from within us. And any time as an artist, even if you're in third grade, you can apply what the lyrics are saying to your life. Mm-hmm. It, you, the message that you send, even as an artist in third grade, will be totally different than, than the message you were just singing words about. And of course, the teacher comes back and it's like, why is everybody crying in this room? Of course. <laughs> you know, it really, it made me realize, because I don't think I'd ever realized until that moment that even in third grade or below, you have personal experiences in your life that you can apply to the music that you're singing. Yeah, that's, that's very hard. I, I feel like that's, a, that's something that people struggle with is finding uh, an emotional connection. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is the thing I preach all the time about, about the text, put the text first. And, but I, I feel like I don't know how to apply that to younger than middle school. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very interesting that you're saying you had this this, this experience because I don't, obviously have very little. I have very little experience with with elementary school children, but we want to give you know fulfilling experiences to kids, not just musically but emotionally. And we need as as educators to be fed emotionally too, and feel like what we're doing is making a difference. Uh, so. I mean, is there a particular, I mean, this sort of just happened organically, I guess, in your, in your choir, but did you move forward in a, in a different way oh, working I, with those kids? The rest of my life. And not only those kids, all kids. Okay. Because it made me, it made me realize that um, uh, selecting repertoire is so important in terms of the content and are there things that these children that are singing it, no matter what grade they're in, that I've picked for them. Are the, can they relate to this and can they bring in their life experiences? I'll give you another example. You were talking about that piece in Boston. Um, and this is going to be a, very personal, but I'm going to share this with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they commissioned me to write the piece, Andrea Ramsey, I don't know if you know Andrea. Remind us the name of the piece again. It's called Echo. Okay. And it's, by, it's from the Christina Rossetti poem. It's about really, it's about loss and the, it's about the, it, probably the death of one of the partners. Um, so when Andrea commissioned, she called me and asked me if I would do this because she was conducting the choir. And I don't know if you know Andrea, but she's a lovely, lovely person. I keep, I keep hearing that she's somebody awesome. I need to have on the show too. It's so. such a great, such a great educator and composer. So, um, but I was going through a really bad time in my personal life, uh, a breakup. And so as an artist and as a composer, I, I'm not one of those composers that um, I didn't major in composition. I compose because I feel it. And this is like, I'm, I have a musical spark that happens mm-hmm. and then I get an idea. So because I was going through this in my personal life, um, that's really all I could focus on at that time. So I came across this poem called Echo, and the poem is amazing. And, um, I, you know, I struggled with this because I feel like this poem is not middle school. But then I said to myself when I read it, are there things that middle school students can pull from this? So I wrote it. I was so happy with the way it turned out. I went and talked with them. And what was so beautiful is Andrea said to them, do you have any comments before we sing this about the poetry and um, your feelings toward this song and like five kids raised their hand and one of them said, my father just died and this song speaks to me. And then, um, somebody else raised their hand and they were, they were just telling me all these things that were, um, pertinent to their lives. And it was, that was so, um, affirming to me mm-hmm. that I that I was worried about this text but I felt like also when I explained it to them I said you know this this obviously is about partners a man and a woman who loved each other and one of them probably has passed on or maybe it was a terrible breakup I said but this doesn't have to you know in your personal life this could be um, your best friend that you spent every day with and they're moving away to a different state mm-hmm. you know so there's I think there's always things that you can apply you know, from your personal life that will express kind of the emotion. And it was very personal for me because of everything I was going through. So, um, I, you know, it, it just ended up being a v- really special experience. And probably one of my proudest moments, um, being there with them and hearing them perform that. That's great. And I, it was a very well-received piece. I remember sitting there listening to it. And uh, if we could, I would love to get that text and put it up in your show notes if we could. Absolutely. Are we allowed to do that? Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, yeah, I would love to I'd love to get a copy of that. We'll uh, send Choir Nation over to um, RyanGuth.com forward slash zero 
four five. Yes, zero four five for episode forty five, so that they can they can read uh, Echo. That's by Christina Rossetti. Correct. And uh, and maybe is there, is that available for publicate? Is that available for for purchase? It, it is. It's um, <clears throat> G. Shermer. Great. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. We'll throw up a link uh, as well, in where they can they can find the music as well for that. Cool. Uh, wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Now I know that um, choosing repertoire is probably the thing that I hate the most. <laughs> uh, I like I like once I, I would if there was a service that existed where people would just say, "Here's the music that you should do." go do it, you know, and just, you can prepare it. I have no problem preparing the music, but it's, it's such a time consuming process to find quality music. Uh, and, you know, like, just like you, I spent the majority of my career in, in middle school. And that is an especially difficult place to find, to find good literature. And I, and I'm wondering it's part, if it's partially because, um, the market is so much more, saturate like high school saturated uh there's maybe people maybe composers underestimate the abilities of middle schoolers i think that i mean from the stuff that i see uh that's published you know that comes on the front page of our favorite music distributors websites mm-hmm. i see i see people underestimating the middle school choral musician uh regularly so it's always hard for me to find to find quality repertoire for for the for that that age. Um, I would love to go through and sort of pick your brain here in front of Choir Nation as to what you believe constitutes quality repertoire for middle schoolers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I and I think that you there's so many different ways to get repertoire. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, I think J.W. Pepper is a great resource in the sense that when you go there now, you can basically look at everything and hear it. You know, yes, that's a great place. Just Choir Nation, by the way, Jada Pepper is not a paid sponsor of this. Uh, of, yeah, absolutely not of this podcast. I mean, they might be in the future, but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see how this episode pans out, and then I'll I'll go pitch them later. Um, yeah, so I, I only mention that because you can hear and see everything. Um, you know, reading sessions, ACDA, MENC, NAFME, all of those great places where you can find genre specific. Um, also, like, w- w- I would go to Choral Festival, and I loved it because you would hear groups all day, and I would get a list of what everybody sang. And you can hear, particularly if it's if you're going to a middle school festival, you hear what really works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I'm picking repertoire, um, one of the things I okay from teaching middle school, one of the things I loved was uh, working with a changing voice because it's a puzzle. You know, every day it's different. Most of them can sing a certain range. There's a couple that are an octave below that. There's some that only have a low G and an A around it. Right, know? exactly. And so I think that you just have to be careful when you're picking the music that um, that you are picking music that they're going to be able to sing. And if you have a boy that only has a couple of pitches, he's never going to sing the bass part. You know, if he gets right. anything, it's probably going to be the melody. And until you until you expand his range and you're going to work on that through warm-ups and sirens and elevator sounds and all those things, but until you expand the range where he can sing a melody, he's probably not going to get a bass part. He may get an ostinato part, right. you know, that's four measures. But um, so I... 
but I, you know, when people are going to contests, they freak out about stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what? I would much rather you be a good music educator and do what is best, best vocally for this person than try to cram them into a part they're never going to be able to sing. Exactly. And if that means they sing the melody, sing the melody until they can, until they grow their range. But now that starts with, and this is something that I, I did a long time ago in the podcast on one of my early Technique Tuesday shows. Was I, I shared. A, a strategy for vocal range evaluation for especially for it was for middle school boys and uh, I think so that you have an informed um, you know an idea of, of what kind of repertoire to choose you have to evaluate your students oh so uh, would you go would you go through like to me like what, what would be a, your simple sort of wham bam boom vocal evaluation you know if you have 80 kids in a in a in a choir, and you need to get it done. What, what's the kind of thing that you would do to get that base level of information so you know what kind of repertoire to pick? Right. Well, first of all, if, if I had like 80 kids and this was like the first day of school and I'm just trying to figure out how to place them, mm-hmm. I would let um, the trebles, I would divide them in half. And I'll probably divide them in half um, listening to the, the timbre and quality of their voice. Mm-hmm. You know, on pitch, all those things. And then what I want is I want both sections to be strong. So I'm going to put, um, I'm going to divide them so that I have strong and weak in both sections. And then, you know, in middle school and children's choirs, nobody is a soprano. Right, exactly. They get pegged, though, because if they read music, they're like, oh, you're an alto. And then they're crammed down low. In that range, the whole time, and they and they then they in their mind they get they think I'm only a soprano or I'm only an alto, and I think everybody's both. So in those early years, it's so much healthier if you switch them back and forth and yep. call them part one and part two. You know, so that I would make them both strong and then divide them in half like, like that. You With are the, you are yellow and you are orange. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, not one and two. You're exactly right. exactly right. This is the the political correct school of choral yeah. music. Yeah. <laughs> For the, the tenors and basses or or the or the um, baritones changing voices, I would probably have them sing. Um, this is what I do. I put them in a circle and I go writer. I sing me so me with body solfege, mm-hmm. and then I go around the circle and have them sing. And um, then I can tell exactly where their voice is. And if they go, me, so, me, like an octave lower, right. or if they sing right with me, or if they sing an octave higher, then that tells me exactly where they should be. Then sometimes what I'll do is I'll have them sing just like one line of jingle bells. Okay. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way, because it's really five pitches. Right. Uh, a span of uh, five. And um, I will do it in three keys. And I'll say, okay, this is, we'll do the middle one first. And then I'll say, did that feel good for you? And I'll look around and they'll just show me a sign like with their thumbs up. And then I'll do it in a higher key. Did that feel good for you? And I'll do it in a low key. And then I'll say, did that feel good for you? Now you show me one, two, or three, which one you felt like was correct for you. And then I'll divide them into three parts according to whether they thought where they thought they um, sang. Does that make sense? Yes. And I would, then I would listen to each group and then move them around as I needed to. Yeah, I, I think that's wonderful because because it's a it's a like I said, it's a wham bam boom. Mm-hmm. Way to way to do this this sort of evaluation, and it doesn't take up a ton of time in your you know you're not making appointments to listen to them individually. Cause, I mean, I think that's the issue that that middle school teachers they they you know especially new ones like they just want to get it right, they want to get it perfect. Right. And I know that I fell into that for the first couple you know the first couple years of teaching. I would have I would literally have like sign up for a five minute appointment with me, and you know listen I'm trying to listen to 
250 kids in the first we didn't get the repertoire until like the second month of school oh, of you know yeah um but, you know, one of the things i like about this too is that it gives them input they're deciding which one they thought was the best for them mm-hmm. then i move them to the group i give them a chance with that but then i can listen to like if there's seven in each group or whatever i can listen to them and i can tell you exactly who should be there and who shouldn't and i can move i can then move them around yeah you know one of the i will tell you one of the best things i ever did was putting them in a circle and going around the room and singing three pitches because you get so much assessment information from hearing them sing individually and i you know if i had the boys just the me so me is what you're saying yeah yeah and if i had the boys separate from the girls every single one of them would sing by themselves no question right if the girls are in the room and i you know i'm my whole philosophy is life is about choices i'm never going to make you do anything you know if you don't want to do it by yourself then you just pass and then what i'll do is i'll say okay can you pick a friend to sing with you and then yeah, or even three, because even if three people are singing, you know exactly what they sound like and who is making what sounds. Right, it's better to get a, a friend uh, to sing with you than than to get, you know, the hair dryer. You know, <laughs> he saw me. You know, because because they're because they're scared of singing with their right with with yeah. their with uh, in front of their their oh, peers. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but it's, and it's also about like down right downplaying. That's it's not this is not a big deal, guys. We all have a voice. We all sing in front of each other. Just right. No one's judging you. If anybody judges you, point them out to me, and they'll stop judging you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so and you always have to set ground rules before you do that. In exactly. Terms of expect expectations and all that stuff. Yeah, but I mean, I guess if you if you go into it like it's like it's if you as a teacher model that it's like no big deal, then the uh-huh. kids the kids will make sure that it's. I mean, the kids will feel that it's no big deal, especially if they're not used to singing in a choir. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But if the teacher goes. Okay, kids, now we're going to sing by ourselves. <laughs> I, I have eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade boys by themselves, like gender specific classes and girls too. Yeah. And I have to tell you, it was amazing to me because every, that's how I would do warm ups every day. They would all come around the piano and I could listen to every single person and know where everybody's voice was. Oh, and, wow. And yeah. And then, you know what was so interesting though? I would do the same thing in the girls' class. And every third girl would probably pass because she'd be too scared to sing by herself. And you'd think. Because girls are awful people in middle school. They're terrible, terrible human beings in middle school. But it just made it was it made it was interesting to me that the girls were so much more self conscious about it. That's true. The boys didn't even care when they were when it was just them in the room. They didn't care because the because boys in middle school are dorks. They just <laughs> love being a dork together. They don't care. That's that's always the most fun group was was to work, working with the boys because they're just. Uh, they just didn't. They didn't care. As long as the girls weren't there, they just did not care at all. Which yeah, was which was great. That's so funny. Uh, okay, so I want to go back to your original question. Which oh was, yeah, choosing repertoire. Uh, repertoire, right? So I always thank uh, thank you for steering the interview back <laughs> in the right direction. Yeah, but it was it was a good sidetrack. <laughs> um, I get. Uh, I think what the the music is about is really important, and so you need to make sure that the the lyrics or the text or the poetry is quality and that it's something they can relate to. So would you, so you say step number one is find, find a text that, that you feel, you fill in the blank. I don't know about if I would, if I would say step number one. Okay. I I think that number one, if you don't like the piece, you're never going to be able to teach it with passion. So I think number one is that you have to buy into the piece and that you have to love that piece and, and share that love and passion with the students. Okay. Num- number two, you have to make sure that the ranges are appropriate for the students. Okay. Or, or that will fit. Or And, you know, I'm all about voice pivoting. Like if you have uh, 
if you have boys that easily sing between what we call the third part and three part mix, mm-hmm. which would be G to D, mm-hmm. you know, that's where a lot of them will land. And then you have some that cannot sing that and it's torture. You can put them on the alto part and octave lower and it's fine. Right. People, you know, people think, oh, it says this, 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 I have to do that. No, you have to do what's best for your students vocally. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I would say range wise, finding music that works, lyrics, so important, you know, and, and are they going to like it? That's so important because if they don't like it, it's just torture for everybody. So, I mean, you have to love... Okay, so you got to love the piece, number one. If and you love it, then then you can convince them to love it. Exactly, right. Yes, if we, no one has ever sold me anything that they didn't believe in, whether Absolutely. whether it's a light bulb or a, or a piece of music. So, And, and that could be from Jim Populis to um, Handel. Uh, you know, I, there's some Handel pieces I adored, and they loved them because I did. Exactly, yeah. right, exactly. And these are things that... That you know you you could never say as a director. Oh well, they're not gonna they're not gonna like this. Well, they don't even know that it exists. You have to show them that it exists. I mean, I have right, and then you you find out who your real choir dorks are, and <laughs> and uh, you know if they can have an excited conversation about a handle piece in eighth grade, I think that's pretty fantastic. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> oh, and let me talk. Can I talk, speak just a minute about three part mixed music? Please. Yeah, I was actually just about to ask you about three part. Yeah, music. you know, I think that. Uh... And I, I, I have written and arranged some myself, but I did it for groups that uh, I knew it would work with. I think you have to be really careful with three-part mix because the third part is basically G to D. And everybody doesn't sing G to D. Most of them do. But what happens is if you have the basses, um, that's treacherous. Sing it, hanging around middle C mm-hmm. is just painful. Yep. So you need to have a plan for that, whether you write an ostinato part lower or whether they sing alto and octave lower. Mm-hmm. Another thing you have to be careful about is that the sopranos get the melody. Usually the altos are squanched between middle C and A, which is just not really the healthiest. And if, if you have decided that these are always altos, they're going to be stuck down there the whole time. And right. so you're fighting them, chesting it, you know, belting it. Um, so I just think, you know, I, you just have to be careful about the music that you pick. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. A lot of people, um, you know, the healthiest thing would probably do SATB. But realistically, could I do SATB when I taught middle school? I could with my advanced eighth grade easily. Everybody else, it was it was very difficult because you ended up spending reteaching the parts every day. Right. And then trying to put two together, then three together with just general whoever signed up. So I, I understand. I think you just have to be careful that you're addressing the vocal needs of the students. So SATB repertoire, I guess, is not bad in, if for maybe your general population, if it's maybe it's like a world music piece, it has lots of repetitive patterns and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, but I, I, I totally agree. The um, Yeah, like the second half of the year, more advanced eighth grade group could handle that. But, oh, absolutely. But yeah. otherwise, by the middle of seventh grade to the end of eighth grade, the general choir would sing SAB. Right. Now, when I had them separated... Gender-wise, I could easily do SATB because with the boys, I would work on TB music, which is really in middle school. You know, you find uh, some Briley TB, which is really AT. Mm-hmm. You know, and, but it fits their voices really well. It's like changing voice music, right? Um, and then I could easily put them all together. But if I had them all in one class mixed, it was very difficult to do that. Is there a particular publisher that you you see does really well with with middle school music i have one in my head but i want to see if it was the same one that you thought um you know i think that um when i think specifically for middle school i think heritage music press 
Um, but I think a lot of that was because of Mary Lynn Lightfoot, mm -hmm. and she really knew middle school voices, and she wrote for them as well. And now she has a new series with um, Chorister's Guild, Sing Out, which is which is uh, really it's not church related. It's like uh, choral groups, uh, secular as well. Okay. Um, so I would say those two. I would say. Um, I think a lots of people try to address them. Like Briley was really good about the TV music for middle school. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, Henshaw does some good things. You know, who are you thinking about? I was thinking about Boozy. Oh, bo yeah, Boozy's. Yeah, because I I think the the Doreen Rao series saved my butt a lot of times in yes. uh, yeah yeah in middle I school. That, I think of her series more with um, like treble music, but really quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, but it, well, because it, it was always a hard time. It wasn't yeah, like, like I'm saying, it was it wasn't a hard time finding the SAB or the SATB as much. It was what can I get excited about in sixth grade with exactly. with sixth graders with, with with my SA group, you know, in sixth grade, and uh, I I always had a hard time with SA, you know, finding good SA text. Oh, and awesome. I always felt that she had really good SA text in her. Really quality music. Her music I yeah. totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing is when you're picking music, you find composers that you feel like write well for them, and then look at the, what else, other things they have to offer. Well, like I think Andrea writes really well for middle school. Laura Farnell, I think, writes beautifully. Ken Berg, you know, Lombier. I'm not plugging these people, but I'm saying they have worked with them and they know them. Mm -hmm. And so you might want, if you have done a piece by one of them, you might want to look at other things that they've written because it's probably going to work. Yeah. Well, yeah. it, it, there needs to be like on uh, on Amazon when you go on, like Pepper or whatever. You need to you know, customers who bought this also bought that. You know, and yeah, <laughs> so, you know. I mean, think about like when I was teaching public school in the nineties um, and two thousands. Um, Sherry Porterfield wrote beautiful music for middle school. Yeah, and, and it's because she taught middle school and high school, and she was writing out of need. I feel like people that write for groups they're working with, you know, it's going to work. <laughs> Right, exactly, right. If it come well, because it actually solves a problem. Right. Like every great product, musical or not musical, solves a problem somehow. Mm -hmm. And that's why it becomes popular. And uh right, if you just write if you if you have if you just write in a vacuum, then it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter. So that's that's great. So these are the, some wonderful <clears throat> excuse me, some wonderful recommendations for uh composers to look at on top of Tom Shelton, of course. So, um, so loving the piece, the ranges, the lyrics. Is there anything else that you want to add to that list? Um, the musical concepts that you can teach through that piece. Yeah, whether definitely. it be form, you know, uh, dynamic contrast. You know, what what does that offer? Mm -hmm. And some pieces you'll get. There's there's a lot of music out there that's just not. Um, what I would call worthy of me spending four weeks on or six weeks on. Right. You know, now uh, sometimes I will pick, uh, oh, uh, let me say this too. A variety in your program is really important. What I noticed when I taught was that you had concert choir schools and you had show choir schools and there was like no happy medium. So I think everybody wants to do everything. Like, mm -hmm. every, I, and I think everybody should be exposed to all types of music, world music, you know, gospel music, Concert music, festival music, show choir music, you know, pop music. I think every, I think that you, everybody should have it all in their diet. And I feel like we get really focused and do one, what we like, one or the other. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, the you you have this wonderful opportunity to educate your audience 
as well, you know, not just your kids. So your, your, your programming is incredibly important because there's stuff out there that the parents and the community doesn't even know exists, you know, and so you have a wonderful opportunity to, to sing uh, pieces that, that help culture the audience as well. Uh, so that's great. Okay, so is that, that so con- we're adding concepts and sort of variety to to the list as well. That's five points. Love it. <laughs> you got to love the piece. You got to fit. Make sure the ranges are something that you can work with in your in your particular setup. Um, you got to make sure the lyrics are something that the kids can buy into. Mm. And appropriate. And appropriate. No gangster rap for the children. <laughs> The concepts uh, that you can extract concepts to teach, mm-hmm. and uh, whether that's vocal, whether that's musical, theoretical, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, you could, that you program with some type of variety, right? Now, are are you a proponent of uh, programming based on? key relationships and all that sort of stuff or i mean is that something you give any thought to are you like or like a i'm a fast slow fast kind of fella or i think that there are many many ways and strategies and i think it's what you were exposed to Mm -hmm. i think um some i think you have to i think i'm conscious of keys particularly going from one piece to another Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't say i necessarily plan that way i know some people that plan that way okay i'm very conscious of uh tempos yeah because uh, i think that you have to the momentum of your program can can be totally stopped in the middle of the program if you have too many that are similar so i think i think uh the variety and the differences in each composition do they complement each other right when you're going after text it's like man you could just do a whole concert of ballads you know and you personally would be very fulfilled but your audience might be might be <laughs> asleep. asleep by the time they're done right absolutely so yeah, it's always always hard to find a really moving up tempo piece. Mm-hmm. I've always found that I, I've always gotten sucked in by ballads, and I and I've been a choir I've been a choir member in professional you know professional choirs that where the conductor has just done like a ballad, an hour and a half of ballads, and I'm like oh my god, like I need to get out of here, you know. And I can imagine it's very fulfilling for the director to conduct that music, but. Mm-hmm. For the chorister, for the the audience, it could be a snooze fest. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, so, I think you have to have those ups and downs within, you know, the peaks. Yes, yeah, yes, and I agree. Peaks, and some of the peaks will be the ballads, but you want, you want to make sure that um, there's there's variety within it, so it's not just slow, slow, slow. Let me ask your opinion. This is sort of my last question in the in this sort of second segment. <laughs> um, I recently got a question on uh, from one of my one of my members of Choir Nation over at the Choir Nation Facebook group. So, if you, by the way, if Tom or anybody else listening would like to be a member of this wonderfully positive choral community on Facebook, just go to Facebook and type in Choir Nation in the search bar. You'll find us. Or if you want to go directly, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Choir Nation, all one word. You can join us there and request membership. And... Uh, it was a, one of my one of my members. Her name is Carol Munn, and Carol Munn uh, asked what to do when it comes to um, using utilizing your choir as background music for whether it's a school function, 
what, you know, what is what is your opinion on on your school choir, particularly middle school or high school, sort of being being background music at a at at some type of function when it's appropriate and, and that, have you have you been in that situation oh, and I've done it okay yeah, so I've, so I, w- I would love to hear I w- I'm gonna make sure that Carol knows that that you're answering this question okay um so we had a when I worked at Winston Salem Forsyth County Schools they had a, a school system wide Christmas holiday um, Hanukkah party, so mm-hmm. to speak, reception, and they would have groups that came in and sang. And were we the focus? No. But um, the the kids love incentive to work towards something, mm-hmm. and this was an opportunity for them to go on a field trip and to sing for all of the people in central office and principals. And are they stopping and listening? Actually, they, they do for maybe one song or two songs. Mm-hmm. So they're hearing you and they're seeing you and they're, they're the impression that you send to other people about your choir's uh, etiquette, behavior, you know, how they're dressed, how they sound, even mm-hmm. if it's one song makes a huge difference. And it, it also was, I, I think, important for the kids. Now, do I, I have also done them where I went and we were totally background, nobody paid any attention. I thought I will never, ever do this again. So it just depends on the situation. Right. Right. It's like, it's like, is there something you have to almost think like, is there something politically that we're going to get out of this situation? (laughs) I mean, it's terrible to say that, but like, right. If you go to sing for, you know, the, the district, you know, the board of education and the administrators and whatever. And they, like you said, they stop and listen for a couple pieces, but you know what? You're there. You're a trooper. Right. You know what? There could be more money coming your way. There could be additional privileges coming your way. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, it also, you know, also, uh, go you ahead. Know, I used to work with Greensboro Youth Chorus, and we would always go to the Biltmore House at Christmas and sing for the Biltmore um, Tea Light Tours. Okay. Were people, we, were we background music? Yes. We had to do five sets of 30 minutes. Were people stopping and listening to us? Yes. Was it like an unbelievable um, aesthetic in terms of the beauty of where they were? Yes. And it was an honor, and it was a... Uh, it's kind of like going to sing at the White House as well. Mm-hmm. Are people? Are you doing a concert? No, but you know, it's a very high honor, and people are stopping and listening to you. And many times you'll get, you might get an, an invitation to come somewhere because they saw you doing something like that. Yeah, I think you just have to be choosy about what those things are. Yes, you know. It's going to fit in the sort of the values of your program as right. well. Right. Because, you know, if you're doing something where nobody's stopping and paying attention at all and people just are talking loud and you can't even hear them, mm-hmm. that's, also, that's demeaning to the kids. Right. And you don't want to put them in a situation where they're, having, they're straining vocally and things like that. But, exactly. But the idea of going out and being exposed, you know, having exposure for your group mm-hmm. um, at a place like the Biltmore House or whatever, and, you know, and the fact that you may pick up some additional opportunity because of the fact that you're or you're out, you know, people are seeing you that you're, you know, that you're act that you're an active choir. Um, um, I think that's, that's, that's very important, but right. I guess, I guess the issue is if it's a school organization or a community choir that, that needs like additional revenue sources as well. That's, that's really important. I mean, I, I, I'm choir LLC. So like all of my choirs are for profit. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we might we might make money off of a off of a a gig, right? Mm-hmm. And tuition, 
right? right. Where uh, and and this is how we keep the, everything running. Um, and so my answer to that question would be different than than a, maybe a, a school you know, right. a school choir director's answer to that question. So I yeah. think you have to weigh the pros and the cons and, and the benefits from this certain event. Right. It's like, do the old Benjamin Franklin draw a line down the center of the paper, <laughs> put the pros on one side, put the cons on that side. If the pros that way, the cons go do it. Right. Right. And the other, the other thing is uh, um, that I've subscribed to, this is definitely more in the for-profit world, but if it's, uh, if the answer in my head isn't hell yes, then it's no. Mm-hmm. If it's you know if I'm if I can't give it my full energy, it's not something that I want to spend my time uh, preparing my kids for because it's it's like it's if it's disrespectful to me, then it's disrespectful to them, you know. So, right, right. but I also you know one of the things about middle schools, they were so excited about singing, and any time they could go out and do it. So that's you, true. You know, I, it, to me, it was incentive for them in terms of they loved to perform mm-hmm. and they loved having the opportunity to go out. Well, there, right, there's those lull periods in in your year too, where you might not have a, a, a school concert right, right now. And it's, you know, you might have just a, just a gap. that's a little bit too big in the year, um, without a performance. So this is maybe a time where you want to seek out something like that. You might reach out to your board of education and say, Hey, can we come and sing the national anthem at the, at the board of ed meeting or, or, you know, I mean, they'll be impressed by your initiative, right? Absolutely. Uh, or yeah, can we go do the the local tree lighting? Well, I guess you have plenty to do in December, but um, but something like you know a Memorial Day you, you know event or something mm-hmm. like that. Because uh, patriotic music is not, let's say, that's not something that we that we do very often. Right. You know, and in your regular concert planning, you might not have a patriotic time, so you might be, maybe look out, you know, Veterans Day or. Memorial Day and find an opportunity in your community to reach out and, and mm-hmm. do something like that and see how it pan, pans out. Absolutely. Well, there are so a couple little standard questions that I'd love to to ask before okay. we we get off the uh, the phone here. But um, what are you most excited about right now? I am most excited about. Uh, I have a neighborhood children's choir at school through Westminster, and mm-hmm. I have five students at Westminster that assist. And we uh, partner with the Y to do this. Okay. And it's the Princeton Young Achievers. So they, they come over uh, to the Pinnell Center on Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it's, I would say, probably 90% plus Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what I wanted to do is I wanted to offer um, an opportunity for children that ne- wouldn't necessarily be in a children's choir for whatever reason, whether they couldn't afford it, whether their schedule wouldn't permit for the long term. Um, and then I wanted our students at school to have an opportunity to work with young singers. Okay. So uh, it's been a really good experience this year. And so I've been really excited about that. I'm also, um, I-, I love to write solo art song. And so I've been real excited about a song cycle I've been working on. What's that called? Uh, it's Sarah Teasdale Poetry. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, in, uh, in your opinion, what do you believe makes an outstanding conductor or educator? Uh, I think that it's the uh, – well, okay, there's some things that are given, like the musical talent, your mm-hmm. musicianship. Right. Um, have you studied? Are you, are you prepared? All those things. I think they're all equally important, but I think the passion that you have and your ability to connect and relate to others is 
monumental. It's the, it's, you know, the bottom line is it's all about the relationships that you have with people. Mm -hmm. And if you connect with them, then they will, they'll, they, you, it will be so special because you, they really want to do it. Like when I taught middle school, what I loved is they, they loved to sing and, um, they loved coming to class and I I felt like I related with them well. And so I kind of knew how to, um, I, I was really good with behavior management, which is what most of middle school is about. Yes. Um, but I think it's the relationships that you have with people and the fact that you can turn on that music is such an important um, part of your life that you can experience for the rest of your life, not just this semester. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to love music while you're in course this semester. I want you to I want you to be an adult and want to sing in your church choir or community choir. Right. Because this is a this is an outlet or of expression for you. Exactly. So you're putting that you're putting the student first. You're putting the music first, and. Uh, that's inevitably, inevitably what's, what's going to cause uh, that lifelong love of music. Absolutely. So what advice do you have for your, let's say, 25-year-old self? <laughs> um, I have always been driven and um, did too many things. And I would, my advice would be that I need to calm down and enjoy life more. That's what I would tell myself. That's you know that's such a common answer here in on the Find Your Forte podcast is like, yo man, chill out. Like that's yeah. like that is such a common answer, and and I think that's something that maybe is good advice in in life in general. Maybe not just the choral niche, but uh, when you're 25 years old, just chill out. Yeah, just and enjoy, calm down. Enjoy, enjoy the moment. Exactly. Be pre- be present. That's all. That's all we. Absolutely. It's all we ever want. I think as when we're younger, we are always looking forward to what's next. Right. And I think that if I could tell myself anything, it would be just enjoy where you are right now. Exactly. Exactly. Good advice. Why don't you walk us through your morning routine? What do you do when you wake up for the first 60 or 90 minutes of your morning? <laughs> That's so funny. I'm, okay, I'm not a morning person. So it, it, and depending on what my schedule is like at school, like this semester, my Tuesday, Thursdays are really heavy. Like I have um, three classes and then I have staff meeting, and um, so those are like all day from the moment I get mm-hmm. up. Uh, the other days are a little more relaxed. No, but like I mean, I, like, what do you do? Like, literally, you roll out of bed, and what happens? Like, uh, that's what I want to know. I want to know. I don't want to know the rest of the day. I want to know literally what happens when you. What happens? I um, usually get ready and go. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't like um I, I I would love to say oh I get up and meditate. No and, no I'm, I we want to know what you do. So, no, so. I do. I'm serious. I usually get out of bed. Uh, whatever my first appointment is, mm-hmm. I get up, I get ready, and then I just am gone. So like, w- would you say that you're how are, are you the kind of person who sort of rolls out of bed straight to the thing that they have to do? Um, I wouldn't say straight to the thing. I, I'd say that I roll out of bed and take time to get ready. <laughs> okay. So I'm presentable and, you know, good to go. Are you a punctual fella? I am punctual um, for the most part. Okay. <laughs> I, think I think it's important, particularly when you're, um, when you're in charge of other people, like rehearsals, nothing irritates me more than it being lackadaisical and mm. people just starting. You know what I mean? Right. I like when the bell rings. I want to start, and I want there to be focus. Lead by so, example. Yeah. So yeah. I, I am that way. Sometimes, if it's casual, I might not exactly be on time. What is your favorite personal growth or music book? My favorite personal growth, or okay, uh, so um, personal growth. I'm big into poetry. And particularly because I, uh, if I read something, it will have monumental effect on me. 
um, either emotionally or I'll grow or learn from it. So I love Sarah Teasdale. Mm-hmm. Love her. Love that. Uh, love her book. Christina Rossetti, Paul Lawrence Dunbar is is a um, great poet. Are there particular so, like collected works of? Oh yes, sort of yes. books. Okay, and Emily Dickinson. Uh, you know, I love all those. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, choral pedagogue, um, Fraka Hassemann's group vocal technique book, mm-hmm. even though it's dated and old, I think it's a great book. Um, Henry Leck has a great uh, book for working with children and youth choirs. Okay, Jean Ashworth Bar- and you know most of my focus is children and youth choirs, so that's kind of where I'm looking. Jean Ashworth Bartle has several books I think are great. Okay. Wonderful. Well, then we'll uh, we'll we'll find some on Amazon, and we'll we'll throw yeah. up links to and your I, show notes. I also, send you like a resource list that I have. Wonderful. Anything we, we'd love to share, we'll we'll put it on your show notes, and that way, Choir Nation has access to uh, these wonderful resources. So, thank you very much. Yeah. So, um, I'm, this is a this is not the end of the interview, but I, this is we're getting close. So, this question is something that uh, tends to stump most of the members of, of our audience and I have to squeeze an answer out of them. If you only had one concert left in your lifetime, a choir with limitless ability and access to a sold out concert venue of your choosing, where would your final concert be and what would be the last piece on that program? Oh my goodness. It's the worst, ex- right? It's the worst. I wasn't expecting this one. Um, okay, I think that... Um, you know, I've had so many um, wonderful experiences um, in different venues. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have a specific one. It might be if it was my absolute last uh, concert. Mm-hmm. I might choose First Presbyterian Church in Greensboro because I worked there for four years, and mm-hmm. I love um, the, the sanctuary is the cathedral, and it's beautiful, mm-hmm. and it has side galleries, back balcony divided choir loft I just feel like and then they just redid it and the acoustics are better and I just feel like there's so many um, there's a variety of ways you could use the room the mm-hmm. space so it may be there um, I think the piece uh, oh, okay so I love the Pergolesi Sabbath Mater mm-hmm. and I did a research project on, on Pergolesi and he wrote that basically when he was on his deathbed and I love that piece. So that may be one of the um, the pieces I would have on the concert. Awesome. The last thing. Also have a piece that I wrote called Remember Me As I Was Then. That's a Sarah Teasdale poem. Mm-hmm. And I love that piece because it just speaks to me mm-hmm. um, about reflecting and looking So if you had it. to choose one piece, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you make this so hard? Well, I'm sorry. This is a... <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think it might be that Remember Me As I Was Then. Okay. Just because that's... Uh, in First Presbyterian of Greensdale, North Greens- Carolina? Greensboro, Greensboro Green- North Carolina. Sorry, Greensboro, yeah. North Carolina. There's so, there's so many works, though, that I love. One, you know? Well, the, I, but I, I ask me the, if you ever have me back, ask me this again, and I'll be prepared. Okay, very good. <laughs> I, need, I need to think through that. <laughs> These, right. I, I don't know if you know the uh, Lee Dengler piece, These Things That Never Die. No, I don't. That is a, oh my gosh, that's a stunning piece. That might be one that I would have on there. Okay, but if you had to choose one, we were going to go back <laughs> to the one. <laughs> All right, listen, um, I know you wanted to... Um, uh, take a second and speak about the importance of uh, belonging to ACDA. Uh, this is not 
this is not a paid endorsement uh, <laughs> by ACDA, but this is something that that Tom feels very passionate about. Uh, so, you know, we've had Tim Sharp on the podcast, the executive director of ACDA. We've had Eden Badgett, uh, who uh, is a very integral member of their team. We've, we're very supportive of ACDA. Um, and uh, so I wanted to let Tom take a second and, and speak about that. Well, I appreciate that. And, right, you know, right now I'm serving as president-elect, so ACDA is always on my mind. Um, I think that what I, what I want to share is I feel like a lot of – I know that I was a member – even when I was teaching junior high school. And a lot of people feel like, well, if I am teaching middle school, there's really nothing for me. But I think what you have to do is you have to realize that all things musical are what you do. And when you, there might not be something specific at your state conference, let's say, that is middle school. But there will be so many things that you can take from that. Um, when, you get, when you get to the division at national level, there are going to be certain things specifically for you. you know? But what I love about ACDA is that it is all choral. You know, mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, in AFME, it's great. It's great. But they're kind of, they cover everything, all things music education. Mm-hmm. What I love about ACDA is we are specific for choral music. And like the journal is an amazing, amazing uh, scholarly magazine, you know, journal. Mm-hmm. And we also have Core Teach, which is like nuts and bolts. It's specifically for teachers, basically, and it's all online. But what I love about uh, the journal specifically is that you can go to the index and you can look up under the index exactly specifically, like changing voice mm-hmm. if, you're, if you need more information. And you will find a plethora of articles that are specifically for that. If there's certain composers you like, you can look up almost anybody and there will be an article about them in the journal. You know, so I just think this, it's such a great resource. Right. And, and what's even more important is the networking and the people that you meet that are mentors to you or that you can ask questions to or, and the composers that attend there that you've performed their music. You know, it's just, to me, it's a, it's a group of people that you are part of and you are welcome to come and ask any questions. Okay. So and, here's, uh, here's my, here's my question. For you, I, I think everything you're, I agree with everything you're saying so far. Uh-huh. But my question to you, and as president elect, is uh, and this is I'm not trying to make this like a debate moderation, but <laughs> my question to you would be how will you, as president elect, make sure that ACDA is a safe place um, where people do feel welcome? Where people, because uh, there is, you know, from the, I'm not really on the inside of ACDA, you know, I serve on the board in New Jersey, but, um, you know, I've not barely, I mean, I've barely even been involved in New Jersey, you know, I mean, it's been less than a year. Mm-hmm. How would you address the elitist feeling that people sometimes get from a- from the ACDA uh, events. Um, I mean, the Coral Journal is an intimidating magazine, and I've, sp- I've spoken to Tim about this, and, and it's, it doesn't always speak to no, the no. less scholarly of us. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I consider myself a relatively uh, simple-spoken person. <laughs> and I mean, the ACDA, the ACDA Coral Journal is a little bit intimidating. You know, to me, I'm not, I don't have a master's degree in choral music. I don't have a doctorate. Um, I don't do some of the works that, that are mentioned in the, in, in the Coral Journal, but 
that really is not a big deal. I mean, I'll use it for what I need to use it for. There's a plethora of online resources. I can search the Coral Journal and find the articles that I, that I do need. What, but do you know 14th? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Okay. It, it, it really it was created to address that specific need because there were so many people that felt like they didn't get anything out of the journal. So it sounds like, like we need to do a little bit more promotion of that resource. Uh, yeah, and it's an electronic resource, but it's like it's articles that are by teachers for teachers and different age groups that I think would really appeal um, to what you're talking about. Okay, so address the attitude issue. Yeah, okay, so and this is my opinion. I think ACDA is a grassroots organization. It started from the people, and I think that it takes the people to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so, in my opinion, every single person is valued, and every single person is important. And so, we kind of have to. Uh, I understand what you're saying about the leadist attitude, but I think it it mainly is because ACDA started uh, mainly for college conductors. And then it grew from there, and then we have now we have all these R and R areas. Mm-hmm. And the theme of the next conference is a life of song, which is inclusive of everybody, no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a, you know, I think a really important group are aging singers. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of our addressing how we help those conductors that work with aging voices, because mm-hmm. you know, as we as our population gets older and older, you know, we want to sing. The, the benefits that you get from singing mm-hmm. are you know huge. But I think that in terms of dealing with the elitism, I think if you come and are a part, there are so many people I know that are not like that at all. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, it's connecting with those people. And, and I can't think of a conference I've been to where I didn't connect with people that were there for the music and for the people. So it's a matter of finding the right people to, to connect with while it you're at is. these kind of and events. And you know what? If you have a problem, like if you're like, I know what it's like to be new and go somewhere and not know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If, if you will go to someone like if you're let's say you're a children's choir person, find out who the children's choir people are there and go to their R&S area. Mm-hmm. Go to their R, well, now it's R&R, repertoire resource. But go to their area and you'll meet people that are, are doing the same things you are that you're interested in. Same thing for middle school and high school. Go to those R&R meetings mm-hmm. during the conference and you will connect with people that are about what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Well, then, I would just say, I want to say none of the people that I've had on the show that are ACDA bigwigs, so to speak, are, were, were elitist to me. I never felt I never felt that way, but I've you know I've heard narratives from past conferences. I, I, I specifically highlighted highlighted one in my more recent um, blog and podcast episode entitled "Your Choir Sucks Because You Suck." <laughs> yeah, um, that dealt with that sort of personal development issue and the, elit- the elitism and, and stuff. And um, you know, we all want. We all want our choirs to be expressive and vulnerable, and, and we, we have to be lead. We have to be leaders ourselves uh, right. in that but, in that right. We also have to be open <clears throat> and and inviting to people. You know that whole elitist attitude is is not helpful to anyone. Yes, you know. And I have to say, you know, you say big wigs in ACDA. I am o- I only um, ran for president because. I feel like ACDA has done so much for me, mm-hmm. and I wanted to give back to my organization. Of course. And this is a huge amount of giving back, I will tell you. But um, I, I believe in ACDA that much, and I believe, you know, uh, in my heart, I'm a middle school person. And well, you didn't, like, you didn't do it for the private plane? 
or all the money that I make. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I, you know, I want everybody to feel a part. Okay. Yeah. And, and a valued part. And so when I hear about this elitist attitude, it, you know, there's just no, in my opinion, there's no room for that. So if you don't know anybody at a at an ACDA convention, and you're worried about about connecting with people, what is the number one strategy that you would say, Tom Shelton, what would you say is the number one strategy for networking with somebody that, that you know, if trying to find your, what, find your posse, find your right. group of people? Open the schedule for the conference. Find out when there's something specific for your genre area, mm-hmm. whether it's middle school. Find out, particularly if you're going to the national conference or division conference, mm-hmm. there's going to be R&R uh, meetings and sessions specifically for middle school. Mm-hmm. Find out when those are and then go and introduce yourself to the person that's presiding over it because it'll probably be somebody related to middle school mm-hmm. or the R&R person that's for middle school. Mm-hmm. You know, And they will connect you with people. If you just say, I really don't know anybody and I um, really want to be a part, I guarantee you they will help you connect. Right. And if you're worried before you go, email that person and try to set up a meeting with them while you're at the conference. Yeah, that's great. And you, I, I know that we, you should definitely use social media ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would be one of my my networking tips for you. Is now, m- unfortunately, music educations, music education organizations, kind of suck at the internet. <laughs> well, we need to get better at marketing. Uh, <laughs> Um, but when you're talking about like an entrepreneurial convention, you know, a lot of people are on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, ACDA is on Twitter, not super active on Twitter. People aren't really engaging on Twitter. Um, they engage more so on Facebook, but not usually when it's an ACDA post more when it's a post from somebody else. You know, I think um, the people in the coral world are afraid to, they're afraid to like promote the organization. That's the, like the, the hub uh, but they'd rather sort of promote posts from their 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 peers. Um, so I, I noticed that there's not a ton of engagement, um, even though there's like twelve thousand members on the Facebook group. When ACDA posts something, people don't really like and share it. Um, but I would find out what social media outlet those people, the people like you are on, it's probably going to be Facebook for most ACDA people because, again, not a ton of Twitter users out there. Um, ACDA is not on Snapchat yet, but they should be. Um, I'm making notes. Yeah, make notes. But um, you should definitely reach out and find out who's going to the conventions, who's doing things like you, and set up your, set up your lunches before you go set up set up a night at the bar you know before you go so that way you can connect with these people that you've met online and by the way head on over to choir nation on facebook because that's what we're doing over there so um you know when when an event comes up you're going to have this tight-knit group of people that you can meet with locally as well Absolutely. So use social media to your advantage. And there's always receptions and things like that that bring people together at the conference. And that's a great place to meet and talk to people. The exhibits are also, at the national level, amazing. Yep. And you will, you will see so many people in the exhibit hall. I can't wait. I'm, one, I'm, I'm gonna, for the next national, I'm going to have a booth. I think I'm going to have a booth. Oh, fantastic. I'm going to do it's it. March 8th through 11th. In Minneapolis, 2017. 2017. There you go. I've never been to Minnesota. Oh, it's it's a great coral community. Cool. 
It's pretty well, amazing. Well, listen, I, I want to say thank you very much. And uh, I wanted to give the listeners a way to connect with you moving forward. So what would you, what would you, uh, first of all, if you would give them some parting words of encouragement, we should, I don't want to forget that. Uh, if you would give Choir Nation some parting words of encouragement and then leave us with whatever contact information you'd like us to have for you, Tom, and Great. then we'll, we'll say goodbye. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for this opportunity. Cause I think that, um, I- I'm so impressed with your creativity and, um, what an entrepreneur you are. In this in this area, and I think it's making a huge difference um, to your lit to the choir nation. I would say what you're doing is changing lives on a daily basis. And you sometimes we get so wrapped up in the red tape of everything and all of the things that pull us down that we forget that. Mm-hmm. And I always try to remind myself why am I doing this? And it's because I love the people that I'm working with, and I love music, and I want them I want them to love that to have that passion that I have for the rest of their lives. So that's what I would share share with you is thank you for what you're doing and don't lose the passion and get caught up in all of the red tape. Wonderful. And how can we find you online? Oh, okay, so um, uh, for my compositions, I have a website, tomsheltonmusic.com, and you can go on there and there's a contact page. So you can send me a message or whatever if, if you had a question. Perfect. We will link to all of these things online, the resources, the books, the stuff that we spoke about uh, in this episode online at www.ryanguth.com forward slash 045 for episode 45. Uh, Make sure that you connect with us on Facebook and find Tom, go to his website, pay him lots of money for his (laughs) compositions, um, you know, because I I get uh, 50% clearly. And uh, (laughs) I want uh, Choir Nation to have a wonderful rest of the week. And uh, Tom, thank you. You've certainly... Uh, helped Choir Nation to step up to their podium with purpose. So thank you for being my guest on the Find Your Forte podcast.